This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. That's like the thing about D&D is like, it's so clearly inspired by these like like a chronological adventure novels um, from like pulp magazines, but it, it it's so clearly not set up to do that. So I've been working on this thing where like everybody makes four versions of their character, like one when they're still green, one when they're on the road, one when they've fallen from grace, and then one when they've become like the you know the king of Aquilonia with a troubled brow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really tired of like I'm an adventurer, that's all I do in this world I will go forth and venture and fight evil That's all I do, I don't have a house I just am camping forever Um. So I think the D&D world is You are Conan, but in Middle Earth <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of describing it but I hate it. I hate the Middle Earth aspect of it. I love Lord of the Rings, but I'm so tired of playing the Lord of the Rings. Anyways, this is the Savor Die Podcast, podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Crispy. Two of your hosts, Carl. And I'm three of your hosts, Courtney. Yay! Huh, Courtney's <laughs> back. Yay! Yeah, so Courtney, welcome to the show. The main show. You're, we moved you up from the miners. Yes. Not a side adventure this time. Um, anyways, I guess uh, real briefly before we get started on the show, what have you guys been doing in uh, in gaming lately? Well, uh, like I said last episode, um, I'm a stay-at-home, homeschooling dad, and I have recently started a uh, homeschool gaming club, and I actually got to put Moldvay Basic in the hands of somebody for their first D&D, and they took it home, borrowed it, get to read through it, and I just think that's super cool. That is really cool. Yeah, just, uh, I feel like it's a great introduction to the game. I feel like it provides a different wavelength than uh, current versions of the game uh, provide, so I'll be interested to see how they react to it um, once I, uh, (laughs) if I ever get my book back. (laughs) I may have lost it forever, but that'll be okay. (laughs) You may never get that book back, but the nice thing is that, that's that person's maybe first exposure to, to old school. Like I still have yeah. my Holmes rule book from you know back when I first started. It's yeah, my maybe pride they'll and joy. be on a, on a podcast in twenty years and say I stole this book from some dumb guy. <laughs> <laughs> As for me, we're still going strong in the uh, in the OD and D play by post game. Um, we we I finally awoke, so that's nice. Um, but yeah, like uh. I don't know what's happening. It's it's real mysterious. Um, I think we lost that combat, or we were saved by Deus Ex Machina. Courtney, what about you? I most recently created a character that is a cleric named Tycon, and I'm not usually... I don't usually play clerics, because I feel like they have lots of rules, and um, any magic users, I kind of am hesitant to play. Just because I feel like they have extra rules and things to remember, and I like to hoard things, so 
I'm always afraid I'm not going to use my spells when I need to. But I thought I'd branch out and try Cleric. And so we only made it as far as uh, character creation as our playmates were children <laughs> and their attention spans are short. Um, so we made it that far, but I'm really excited to play that character, if not with them, uh, in another game, possibly down the road. But uh, So that was really branching out for me because I usually play dwarves, which are my first love. And speaking of dwarves, that's our topic for the show today. We're doing another class act. This time we're talking about uh, everyone's favorite little ruddy hairy little ball of axes. So this is a back-to-back class act. We are doing a back-to-back class act. For... I can't. I ruined it. I'm sorry. I couldn't keep it going. Back-to-back class act attack? Yeah, because we've got so much tact. And this show is going to be stacked with dwarven facts... Jack. That's right. I took improv classes in high school. <laughs> Are you enjoying the show you're listening to right now? Great. Why not head over to patreon.com slash WGP and support that show for as little as dollar a month. Dollar a month was a long way to helping support the network of all games productions. Again, that's patreon.com slash WGP. Thank you. So one of the reasons we wanted to jump right into another class act and talk about dwarves is because they are essentially the fighting class. Um, in OD&D, they're given the option to be thieves uh, in Greyhawk, uh, but in the rest of classic D&D, uh, when you're not expanding OD&D, they are essentially just fighters. So we thought it would be, while well, talking about fighters is still fresh in our mind, it'd be interesting to approach the dwarf because it is the most similar to that class with the least amount of extra abilities. I think that is one of the main reasons why I really like dwarves is it allows you to be that strong fighter, but um, also allows you to have that element of imagination as opposed to just playing a human fighter that I feel like most of us could pretend to be any day as and the dwarven fighter is not necessarily something you pretend to be every day. Yeah, I think there's something to be said that, like, the Dwarven Fighter is a super strong fantasy archetype. Like, it, it, we'll talk about this later, but it comes from, you know, Tolkien, at least the D&D version, but it's become so prevalent and pervasive in fantasy, just in general, that, like, when you think of a dwarf, it, you're not thinking of, like, a Dwarven Alchemist, you're thinking of a Dwarven Fighter. Yeah, I often say that D&D is a game of archetypes, and when you lean in on the archetypes, the game just runs a little bit smoother, Um, and the archetype is the Dwarven Warrior, not the Dwarven Alchemist, or the Dwarven Barbarian, or the Dwarven Thief. The, The archetype you think of when you think of a dwarf as a fantasy idea is the battle axed wielding armored warrior. So I want to ask the question... Why be a dwarf over a fighter? I mean, I always go back to the... It helps me to get into that imaginative world, into that fantasy world. Playing the dwarf over just the human fighter allows you to get into that imagination and really get more into the world and into the storytelling and kind of leave your normal everyday life to have a better experience. 
that does kind of remind me you saying you know uh, a human fighter is kind of an everyday thing uh that reminds me of a joke do you guys uh do you guys know what the difference between a town guard and a first level fighter is no i, I really don't <laughs> full-time employment <laughs> You don't you don't you don't uh you don't run into dungeons and, and fight a bunch of monsters if you're if you're living pretty comfortably employed. I mean I think uh, yeah I I I really uh think Courtney hit the nail on the head. There is there is something about being a fantasy creature um that's interesting that puts you into the fantasy game a little bit more where the human warrior is a historical idea there's plenty of historical human warriors we talked about how how the fighter was um kind of the normal fighting man the soldier in the army and the dwarf is clearly not that i think another good reason to play a dwarf is it guides you a little bit in your role playing dwarves have this sort of inherent personality built into them you're not bound to that but as a new player you might find that comforting to help you make character choices every human culture has warfare so you have a lot of broad historical references that you can pull from to be a fighter you could be a samurai who is like wandering the world you can be a knight errant you can be a pirate when you're a dwarf I mean, let's be honest, you're basically Gimli, and that's great. I love that. Sometimes I want to be Gimli, you know? I want to drink a lot of mead and have an axe and, you know, be like, ah, orcs, sir. What kind of mechanical benefits do you get over being a dwarf as opposed to a fighter? Because they are mechanically different. Yeah, and the mechanical benefits in OD&D... Um all it says is dwarves may opt only for the fighting class. Uh, obviously, that changes in Greyhawk. Uh, and they never progress beyond the sixth level, um, where fighters go to ninth level. So uh, there's the disadvantage of being a dwarf is they have a level cap. Their advantages are that they have a high level of magic resistance, and thus they add four levels when rolling saving throws. Once race's class is solidified, this becomes just a completely different save track, but it pretty much matches that concept. Um, mm -hmm. The other uh, advantage they give them, uh, which is a little bit funny, is they are the only characters able to fully employ the plus three magic warhammer. And, and that's explained in the uh, second volume of the three little brown books. Um, but that's just such a funny wording that doesn't really even sound like D&D. I'm the dwarf, so I get to <laughs> use the plus three magic warhammer. It's such a thing that, like, people who are making a D&D-esque thing in media who haven't actually played D&D would include. Well, it goes on to say they uh, note slanting passages, traps, shifting walls, and new construction in underground sittings, uh, which is the classic dwarf ability. They are the original trap finders. This is before the thief class is introduced in the game. Mm -hmm. So they are the ones who are best at noting traps. And then the only additional ability they speak of in the OD&D section here is they speak the languages of gnomes, kobolds and goblins in addition to the usual tongues uh, alignment language all that kind of stuff and then in bx a lot of it stays the same um for the, for the most part in bx it ex describes dwarves as short stocky demi humans about four feet tall all dwarves have long beards all dwarves have long beards 
They weigh about 150 pounds. Their skin is earth-colored, and their hair is dark brown, gray, or black. Stubborn, but practical. Maybe that's why I like dwarves. Dwarves love hearty meals and strong drink. They value good craftsmanship and are very fond of gold. Dwarves are sturdy fighters and are especially resistant to magic, as shown by their better saving throws against magical attacks. The prime requisite for a dwarf character is strength. A strength score of 13 or greater will give a dwarf a bonus on earned experience points. So it goes on to say dwarves use 8-sided dice for their hit points. They have a maximum of 12th level. uh, And then Moldvay Cook, fighters progress to 14th. So that's less of a uh, a penalty for being a dwarf in uh, BX. Um, And dwarves can use any type of armor uh, and all of uh, the normal stuff you expect from a dwarf. It does note that they are not able to use... Uh, the two-handed sword, or the longbow. Um, so those are some restrictions on the dwarf in BX. Their special abilities are very much the same, except it does make a mention of infravision. They mention again the that they're able to find slanting passages, traps, shifting walls, new construction, and then the languages again comes up. Uh, no, no mention of the Warhammer here, even though it is in BX. Uh, it's not mentioned in the uh, character bio as a special ability. Do you guys think the level restrictions are that big of a deal? Like, uh, if you're playing just BX or just playing Little Brown Book D&D? I think it's a bigger deal in OD&D just because it's a, a lower stopgap. You know, going all the way mm-hmm. to 12th level is, is a huge difference from stopping at 6. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, at the same time, I play low-level games. I mean, I don't... I've had maybe one time except for when i was a young kid a party get up to even 12th level like that's a be would be a momentous <laughs> event for my games i mean my games are almost all low level dungeon crawls right i've never played a higher level character like i'm not sure if i played over third or fourth level we we typically play either in con games which every now and then we'll start at a higher level um one-offs or but most of them we haven't really or i haven't gotten into a long long i think you the highest level character you played was during an ad and d tournament at north texas rpg con um i think that was around seventh eighth level is where the characters were so that's the highest i've ever played i and that was for a one shot i mean that's right so I, i i can't imagine a level restriction being a huge issue at the current point I am in my life, um, if I was on a um, ongoing game or in on an ongoing game, then that might be a, a greater issue. I, I could see six and ninth level seems awfully low, though. But I mean, I can't imagine if I got up to a twelfth or and, even and, higher, and but even thirty. Because in in uh, in BX, once you get past ninth level, you stop gaining hit dice. You gain like a small hit point bonus. So it's not like yeah. you're missing out on 16 possible hit points. You're not. You're, you're missing out on a, a small hit point bonus that the uh, human fighter has. So it's really, I think, negligible to be concerned about those two extra levels. I think the only thing that you may miss out on as well is yeah, like you. So you don't gain the extra four HP that a fighter would at 14th level, but. I think there might be also something to do with hit-to-hit numbers. So in BX, uh, fighters do get a one extra row of hit bonus. 
their uh, two hit armor class zero can go all the way up to 10 where uh, a dwarf's two hit armor class bonus maximum is at 12. So it's only a 10% difference. That's not that bad in the long run. Um, Especially, you know, that could be that could be made up with uh, your ability scores. Could be you know, made you up might with roll. that plus three dwarven warhammer. Heck yeah, <laughs> that you can then also throw at double the distance, and it'll return to you instantaneously. You become dwarf. Dwarf. I have a theory. Dwarf. Okay, and this will this will lead us nicely into uh, uh, talking about the um, literature behind dwarves. Mm-hmm. On why we think of dwarves as Vikings, or these kind of northern warriors, and here's my theory on why: not just because they come from the Norse sagas, which they do, but the dwarves in the Hobbit are a direct corollary to Beowulf and his warriors. The Hobbit is this kind of weird parallel to Beowulf, where Bilbo is the thief that takes the cup and enrages the dragon, the dragon that kills Beowulf. Well, in that narrative, Thorin then becomes Beowulf. I've never read this before, but that makes a like I've read Beowulf. I took an old English course in college. Like I've read Beowulf in old English. Um, I've never read that before. Like and that that commentary on it that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure it's in a letter somewhere that he wrote to someone. <laughs> well, no, it's he's definitely intending to draw parallels with Beowulf in The Hobbit. Huh. That's really cool. Before we jump into those, uh, that, you know, that sweet next section, so sorry to, like, ruin your segue, I did just want to synthesize, you know, the, the virtues of being a dwarf over a fighter. So, if you want to be real tough... If you want to be good at finding traps, especially in um, the Little Brown Book D&D, um, where you don't have thieves, or even, you know, in, in BX, like, I think Dwarf's the class for you, you know? If you want to be a hard-fighting, trap-finding, jet-flying son of a gun, whoo! That would be... <laughs> you'd be Ric Flair the Dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Dwarf description in BX is like my... Uh personality descriptor like if i were to take a which bx class matches your personality you would get dwarf <laughs> yeah, yeah i would get dwarf I, the intj test of, yes of can we DVD. can we make that test can we put that <laughs> test on the website which dd class are you i'm sure can it's we been done a create times save or die potter more yes <laughs> basically that's what i was thinking like you know everyone's like i'm slytherin Anyways, so, getting into the real-world literary inspiration, yeah, uh, I mean, they're they're from The Hobbit, that's like, (laughs) there's no other way to say that about the BX Dwarf, is they are based on dwarfs from The Hobbit, which are in turn based on the dwarves. Clearly, halflings, dwarves, and elves, inclusion in Dungeons & Dragons owes a lot to the world of Tolkien. Yes. Regardless of the fact of how much Gary Gygax or Dave Arneson were interested in the literary works of J.R.R. Tolkien, it's a product of the wargaming scene that grew up around Tolkien's Middle-earth. That's Mm -hmm. the 
that's the wars that they were gaming. You know, they the yeah. miniature lines you see in the 70s, these fantasy miniature lines, are all essentially Battle of the Five Armies type clones. I mean, I, I remember reading some older source, and they even say to use the Lord of the Rings miniatures. That was probably on um, uh, John Peterson's blog, just did a post on uh, the Mythical Earth miniatures, and I believe so did um, the Xenopus Archives did a post on the... That, so it was at one point called... Uh, Middle Earth miniatures, and it was mm-hmm. released by Minifigs, and this was in the early '70s, just a little bit before D and D was produced. Uh, but they changed the name from Middle Earth to Mythical Earth. So, in those early publications <laughs> where Gary Gygax is talking about available miniatures for your games, he makes mention of the Middle Earth miniatures from the UK, which is the Minifigs company. Yeah, they're from Ireland or something like that. They're like an Irish company, and I think they still make them today. Yeah, uh, mini- yeah. miniature figurines uh, is still in business, and you can still buy minifigs. Even some of the um, previously official D and D minifigs that came out in 1977. Ooh, I know you're a big miniatures guy, or you yeah. have been in the past. And I, this is a rabbit I've, hole we do not have time to I've, go down. Yes, but I, <laughs> I know I've constant like it, on more than one occasion in even private conversation is like, Carl, I, I want to get into miniatures real bad. And you're like, here are a bunch of resources. <laughs> yeah, um, somebody can sell you. <laughs> do I get the friends and family discount? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So I do want to talk real quick about, uh, you know, Gygax ripping stuff off and John Peterson's blog playing the world. Uh, as I was doing research for this, there is a post um, that John Peterson did um, where it turns out that Chainmail's fantasy supplement, which is very much inspired by Tolkien and a little bit of uh, Paul Anderson, but like it has like Balrogs and you know Barrow Whites and Ring Wraiths. Like it's 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 definitely Tolkien. There's no way to go about that and say that it, it's anything. But um, I I wanted it not to be true. I did a bunch of research, being like, why did Gary include these things? I know he doesn't like Tolkien. Like, what is the reason that is outside the mainstream accepted reason, which is, it's all ripped off Tolkien. Um, Turns out that it actually was in this instance, because um, in a magazine, a wargaming fanzine that uh, Dave Arneson subscribed to, someone in New England had their rules for fantasy miniatures published. I think you uh, Steve Perrin. I just want to... Make sure. It mu- yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, it is Steve Perrin. You're right. Um, so they had this expose on a wargaming convention, and one of the highlights was this person's fantasy wargaming rules for medieval miniatures. And the exact battle that they demonstrated was the Battle of Pelennor Fields. And if you look at the rules, like it, you can see Gary definitely he ripped them off. Um, and just maybe forgot to credit him. And then John Peterson goes on to say that he has a history of doing that. So, uh, like, I wanted it not to be true. I wanted it to be like Gary Gygax was a real, he was real big into Norse mythology. And that's why he included elves and dwarves and 
It's not. It's hobbits. It's it's the Hobbit. It's the Lord of the Rings. Like they they're the Lord of the Rings dwarves. So if the D and D dwarf is modeled after the Tolkien dwarf, and I think that's pretty inarguable. Um, then we can still look back on the fiction that influenced Tolkien as the kind of progenitor of these ideas that came into um, Dungeons and Dragons through him. Which would be the uh, the prose and poetic Eddas, the Volsanga Saga, the Lay of Sigurd and Gudrun, the uh, Nibelungenlied. It's weird, though, because Tolkien's dwarves very much do not resemble... Um, they don't really resemble like Norse myth dwarves, but all of the D&D subspecies of dwarves in some way do reflect the Norse mythos dwarves. Like, uh, the, like even the Swerve Nephblin are very much like they can grow in size and they have, you know, they can turn invisible and they have the strength of 10 men. That's, that's a thing that exists in like folklore and myth for dwarves. It's also interesting to note that uh, dwarves are the original dark elves. I, I think one thing to keep in mind when we um, look at uh, the history of these words is how how I think I think some of this comes from D and D. How we've kind of compartmentalized and cataloged things in a way today that didn't really happen when we look at folklore and essentially. Everything, whether it be dwarf, gnome, fairy, or whatever, was essentially just mystical in nature as opposed to human in nature. Um, so, I you, you see corollaries like that all throughout folklore, simply because we it just wasn't categorized the way we do today. Well, yeah, and it's also interesting because European folklore is pretty diverse over different cultures. I mean, there's got to be some, like, Campbellian monomyth that informs all of it. I'm not sure which one that is, but, like, they exist, dwarves exist in Anglo-Saxon mythology. They, you know, give you nightmares. They exist in French mythology, where they're more akin to what we understand to be today as gnomes. And interestingly enough, in Chainmail, in the original uh, fantasy supplement, gnomes and dwarves are the same thing. Um, and I like that. I've I've toyed with the idea of making gnomes the halflings of dwarves. You know, halfling is to human as as gnome is to dwarf kind of thing. But you know, that's that's the only way you're ever going to play a gnome in my game is if you're a you're a forest dwarf. <laughs> I don't think I've mentioned this on the show before, but my concept for gnomes is that uh, they're changeling dwarfs. They're dwarves that have been affected by the elves, and that's why dwarves and elves just don't get along. <laughs> it's because <laughs> elves made gnomes. For years and years and years, elves and elves and dwarves were the only people around, so elves were just messing with the dwarfs instead of the humans. Huh. Do you like do you run like more fey elves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't have elven okay. cities and stuff. We talked about that in the... Uh, elven we did elven. talk about this. In, yeah, you're right. Um, one pre-token literary reference to dwarves that we haven't mentioned yet is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I almost feel like they may... I guess they do go to work in the mine. I was going to say, I almost like they're more of your gnome-type dwarfs. <laughs> they're your domestic dwarf. But they do, they do live I, in I don't houses. think you're wrong, though. Because, like, they also live in the forest. Right, yeah. In, like, a cottage. They, they go 
whistle while you work and they go i mean maybe i'm thinking too disney but um it's still pre-tolkien they have their axes and they go off to work but yeah then they live and they do the housework and they live in the forest so <sighs> mixed emotions about the snow white dwarves Check my favorite dopey publication dates. Mine. Too. I think. Uh, oh, really? I think Snow White was 1939. No, it's. Uh, they are both 1937. The Hobbit was published in the 21st of September 1937, and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Uh, it was December of 1937 that uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the Disney film, came out. And obviously, the Brothers Grimm fairy tale way predates that. But, uh, uh, so yeah, the Disney film is not pre-Tolkien by a matter of months. Yeah, but with pre-production, I'm sure it's... Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't think... Maybe not pre-Tolkien, but it's... by Tolkien at all. I'm not saying that. Oh, definitely not. Uh, Another one that, like, as I was doing research in this, um, I couldn't find anything to really corroborate it, is uh, Rumpelstiltskin is also a pre-Tolkien influence for dwarves. And... The Wikipedia article for Dungeons and Dragons Dwarves just has this blanket statement: Rumpelstiltskin is the prototype, uh, proto ancestor of dwarves, and it let like uh, it referenced a, a, a book. I bought that book. I went. And I paid ten dollars for that book on my Kindle just so I could look up the page reference. And in the book, all it says is, uh, "Rumpelstiltskin is the proto ancestor of D and D dwarves." Well, I I do think there's some argument to be made that Rumpelstiltskin is a dwarf or some sort of dwarf-like creature. And again, you know, this is a time where things weren't necessarily cataloged. But it is worth noting that the Brothers Grimm who produced both Rumpelstiltskin and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and there are other versions of both of those stories, um, calls the dwarfs in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs dwarfs, and they call Rumpelstiltskin a little man, um, not a dwarf. So they don't ever use the word dwarf when talking about Rumpelstiltskin, but there are other versions of that tale that do use dwarf. But I think, to me, the... Uh, logical corollary to what we think of as dwarves now is because Rumpelstiltskin's magical ability was crafting related. He spun straw into gold. And um, yeah. Tolkien builds on that as well. The dwarves do have a magic about them, but it's in the creation of things. You know, they're so pleased with their creations, it, it, it means a lot to them. Um, but I think pre Tolkien there is a little bit more of a sorceress nature around dwarves. In, uh, oh, there definitely are. In uh, William uh, Morris, uh, The Wood Beyond the World, um, and William Morris was a huge influence on Tolkien, um, down to names being pulled directly out of it uh, and placed into Middle-earth. There is a Mirkwood in uh, one of uh, William Morris's books. There's a Gandalf. There is a fellowship that go on adventures together. Um, but in the wood beyond the world, they meet a dwarf uh, who is absolutely a mischievous, fairy-like, uh, sorceress figure um, that uh, is described as ugly and other, and, and uh, where I feel Tolkien really cemented this change that solidified in Dungeons and Dragons is viewing these other creatures as a primary protagonist. The Hobbit 
um, I think is most notable as a fantasy work because of putting yourself into the mindset of a fairy tale creature primarily. That it's not a young hero who goes off and meets all these strange and weird uh, creatures you uh, read through the viewpoint of this strange and weird creature. They just happen to be very relatable because hobbits are pretty much uh, uh, comfortable Englishmen. But, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I do think dwarves also in The Hobbit are, are become very relatable as opposed to mysterious and other, and certainly not sorcerous. We don't think of uh, Tolkien's dwarves as that at all. I would like to take and expand on that and take it back even further than William Morris, um, which is going back to Germanic myth, um, especially even the name Gandalf. The name Gandalf is the name of a dwarf uh, in um, one of the sagas. I think it's the... I want to say it's the Prose Edda. It may be the Poetic Edda. Um, but... In, in sort of European folklore, dwarves were initially seen to be the garters of the secrets of material wealth. So that does make sense that, you know, Rumpelstiltskin would be a dwarf in that light. Um, even him being sort of like, a, in some translations, a demonic figure. Like, not demonic, but, you know, uh, I guess pagan? I, I'm not sure exactly what word yeah, describes him. Yeah, but the thing him. is, I mean, it's, it kind of goes back to that. All of all of these things kind of get lumped in together, you know? Yeah. So kind of just jumping back on like the dwarves being seen as sort of like, because in, in Norse myth, dwarves are, you don't want to be a dwarf. Dwarves are a little like demon dudes, you know, they're a little mm -hmm. like they're ugly and they smell bad and they're like tricksy to quote Gollum. But also the like Sanskrit origin or one of the proposed origins that may be the the ancestor root word for dwarf is a sanskrit word for demon like dwarves were not great things in uh in in you know ancient european folklore and i think um that that strengthens the case that rumpelstiltskin was probably a dwarf or or a dwarf-like creature within the the original telling of the tale. Going back to William Morris, and I mentioned the wood uh, beyond the world of William Morris, but he also had a book called The House of the Wolflings. And in The House of the Wolflings, um, the protagonist of that story uh, ends up with a suit of dwarven mail, which is just fantastically crafted. It's the best armor, you know, that he could have. So here's another thing I want to talk about. Dwarves in The Hobbit provide Bilbo Baggins with a suit of chainmail. Yeah. That suit of chainmail is dwarvish made, but was made for an elf princeling, is what they say. And it's a mithril coat of mail. Now, mm -hmm. I think that is the inspiration in Dungeons & Dragons for elven chainmail. But it was made by he dwarves. It's dwarven hmm. armor, but in Dungeons and Dragons that got twisted into elven chainmail because it was yeah, I definitely mithril, right which elves love, and it was made for an elf, and he calls it his elf prince shirt or whatever, you know. I mean, so it's just interesting when you talk about dwarves being crafting and dwarves having the best stuff that in D and D that kind of got twisted a little bit in the narrative to be an elf suit of armor as opposed to a dwarven suit of armor. 
in Volsanga Saga, the treasure that the hero is questing after is made by dwarves. Like, the dwarf king Nebel, he made, like, the ring. The, the ring of power. Like, that's a dwarf thing as well. In I mean, it, it gets co-opted by Sauron in Lord of the Rings, but, like, rings of power are a Norse thing, and they come from from dwarves. Even even the plus three Warhammer, which is is Mjolnir, is in the original source material. Is uh, it's dwarven made. But yeah, like I don't know, dwarves. Dwarves as crafters is that's I think the Long most yeah the most base version of the dwarf is the dwarf crafter. So speaking of Rumpelstiltskin and, and you know the the seven dwarves, what are some other famous dwarves? Well, I mean, uh, so uh, Gimli, I think, is sort of the the standard prototype, especially when we think of dwarves and axes. You know, the 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 company that went with the Hobbit, the thirteen dwarves, uh, weren't uh, really axe users. They um, uh, really only mentions of swords and bows that I uh, found. The army that came to their aid uh, used mataks, which are a little bit more axe-like, but Gimli certainly uh, was an axe-wielding dwarf uh, through and through. So I think when we have that mental image in our head of the dwarf swinging the axe and in the armor and, and, uh, you know, a a certain Scandinavian uh, appeal, I think that comes from both artist representations and Tolkien's writings of Gimli. Yeah. Um, kind of more so post-Tolkien, um, <laughs> there's also uh, Huggy or Huggy the Dwarf from uh, Paul Anderson's Three Hearts and Three Lions, which is the uh, the genesis of the Scottish dwarf trope. Like, he's very much, like, he's a Gimli ripoff. But he's Scottish as well. He's he's written with a brogue. And I think that's where that, you know, that dwarf voice comes from. That you'll see people portray a lot. Even without even realizing. It's so ingrained in popular <laughs> culture that it's... It's been, it's been uh, uh, years since I've read Three Hearts uh, uh, and Three Lions. Um, uh, so I don't really remember much about uh, the dwarf character. I It is notable, and, and this is post D and D, obviously, but there is um, pretty heavily hinted at that the dwarf in Maze of Perils, the novel by John Eric Holmes, uh, has a, a Scottish accent as well. I mean, you can read it however you want, but he does say "I" and "lad" and stuff like that that uh, kind of leads you in that direction. Yeah, all of the Forgotten Realms dwarves written like Brunner Battlehammer, which I think is also. <laughs> that like noble dwarven warrior king archetype, which I I guess is even more Tolkien esque with the Beowulf. Um, also has they all have Scottish accents. They say ye and lad as well. <laughs> they I ye and lad. Um, I want to put in to like I want to throw a name to the ring of famous dwarves here. Uh, the keymaster from the Masters of the Universe. Um movie which is he's not strictly a dwarf but he's short and has a big hook nose and a beard and like is a tinkerer so maybe you know he could be a gnome but uh, i'm i'm gonna say you know what i i might i might soften my stance on gnomes going forward if it has the understanding that they're just like hillbilly dwarfs 
<laughs> so speaking of famous dwarves, I'm not sure if I'm totally sold on gnomes as dwarves, but um, I think I can go with the fact that they're more of your forest dwarf, but a famous one is David the Gnome. He would be definitely be considered more of a forest character, you know, riding the fox. Um, so I, I would list him as a... If, if we're going to throw gnomes and dwarves <laughs> in the same category, um, I would say David the Gnome is a famous dwarf. I literally know nothing about David the Gnome. I've never Carl, seen... Carl, look around. There are many things to see. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm assuming that's a reference, but I have no it's, clue. <laughs> it's the opening lyric to the, the, the wonderful world of David and the Gnome. We'll, we'll find an episode on YouTube. <laughs> it's got... I'm really sad that you don't know about David the Gnome because it's got like it's like a gummy bears like yeah. level theme song. It's so good. My kids would probably dig it. We should probably get them into some David the Gnome stuff. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like your son is about the age I was when I was watching David the Gnome, and if it I was rem- my jam. If I remember correctly, it's all about taking care of other animals and caring for others. So it has a good theme as well. But maybe that's just yeah. selective memory. Uh, one thing we should mention while we're on the subject of, of famous dwarfs and, and not quite out of the uh, fantasy literature section that we haven't mentioned yet is Narnia. Narnia has dwarves and they kind of uh, bridge this gap between um, sneaky sorceress dwarves and uh, Tolkien dwarves because uh, Narnia is just a little bit more fairy tale. Uh, than um, what we've come to think of as uh, high fantasy, Tolkien fantasy. Um, and the dwarves were servants of the Dark Queen, uh, the the Snow Queen. Um, so they were evil, but there are, are good dwarves. They were just serving her. Um, so they kind of bridged that gap in a way. Hmm. I, uh, I may have to turn in my DMs card or whatever, but I've never... I've never read Narnia. It's not. It's not my favorite. <laughs> like I, I mean, I, I've read it and don't like it that much. <laughs> I know that might, be, that might be more of an affront to people. I know things about Narnia, but like I don't know them firsthand, and it just sounds real confusing. Because like, I don't know. I don't want to get into it. This isn't the Narnia podcast. Um, <laughs> this isn't in the notes, but I do kind of want to talk about it. Uh, talking about like. You know, uh, dwarves as, like, maybe gnomes and the same thing and, you know, their relationship in Tolkien and their relationships in, like, myth. But how do you guys handle, like, uh, you know, dwarves and monstrous humanoids? Dwarves and orcs. Dwarves and goblins. Dwarves and kobolds. Dwarves kill orcs. And goblins and kobolds. That's how we handle them. I mean, yeah. But, like, <laughs> that is something we didn't really we didn't really reference, because that's such a fantasy trope. That's such a D&D trope. You know, they, they have... Uh, dwarves get these monstrous humanoids' languages as, as a bonus feature. And uh, it's presumably because, you know, they may have to parlay with them or have some you know yell insults as they're killing them by the handful but yeah you know I, i'm not really sure where the idea of of uh 
the extra languages from dwarves and el- for dwarves and elves comes from. I mean, I think it's notable that halflings don't receive that. So possibly it's due to longevity, or maybe it's just a know your enemy thing. I think that definitely has to come from a place of these of like learning the the language of the races you share some kind of racial animosity with. And I think we'll finish up tonight with uh, our last segment. I don't know if uh, a little bit of inside baseball. We do have a show structure. I know it doesn't seem like it from the outside, but these are our hot takes on dwarves. Um, You know, how we've used them, how we've modified them, things we can do to make them interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll let Carl start. Carl, how have you use dwarves or or made them your own how do you how do how do you use dwarves in your home campaign of hand wavia (laughs) so um my games are pretty loosely structured i'm a pretty uh fly by the seat of my pants uh dungeon master um i make up a lot of stuff as i go so a lot of times i'll lean into player expectations because when i run a DD game i keep in mind that i'm running it for that table and that table may have certain expectations um so i i will meet them if they have certain requests like if they want dwarves to be scottish i'll make dwarves scottish you know it's not really a thing i dig it's not my idea of dwarves but I'll meet the table halfway. And a lot of that comes from running a lot of one-shots at conventions as opposed to running long-term campaigns. Um, When I'm running a long-term campaign, I may solidify these concepts a little bit more. One thing I really like to lean on is this idea of dwarven culture being very... um, not totalitarian, but very utilitarian maybe like they just do what's best for the group as a whole like i you know they don't have a lot of uh fancy flights of whimsy you know and there's not an idea of of uh dwarves kind of breaking trust with their family to do the thing they want to do so dwarven adventurers uh, essentially would be a very rare thing because it's not necessarily what's best for your family or it would be something that was um, approved of by Dwarven Council. That's another thing is um, in, in my made-up fantasy world that's more solidified in my head, the idea of Dwarven rulership would just be like the five oldest dwarfs are in charge. So that's just how it goes. Uh, once uh, one passes away, the next oldest dwarf is now in that position. Um, so there's just, it's just based on age. It does nothing, no other thing. They, they can force someone out if they're a dangerous person, but dwarves are so predictable that that usually doesn't happen. They're mostly just, like, oh, it's, it's good for our people. Let's do it. Um, and another thing, and this is just a small flavor thing. I like the idea that dwarves have no word for beauty of a person or individual. The only words they have to express something as beautiful or pleasant to look upon is for crafts and craftsmanship. And a gilded axe could be beautiful in the Dwarven language, but you would never apply that same word to an individual person. So, Courtney, I know you're mostly a player, uh, and I, I imagine you play in quite a lot of Carl's games. I do play because in a lot of Carl's games. You're married games. to him. Yes. 
Um, but I do play dwarves a lot, and I do like that dwarves are mechanically inclined. So kind of like he said, that they're crafty and they can uh, make things. I, I see them more as uh, making tools. Um, I feel like we hear the word crafty and think of hobbies. Arts and crafts. Arts and like crafts. like scrapbooking. Yes. This is dwarven living. <laughs> yes. Um, and this frame on this photo represents <laughs> honor. Right, right, right. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so crafty in a sense of making tools uh, to give them a mechanical advantage. So that's how I play the dwarf typically. And hmm. I don't know if everybody does that. It's what, a, uh, it's a thing that's kind of developed over, um, and, and I think Warhammer has a, a a hand in that, where dwarves have become more and more mechanically inclined, up to the point of like making robots essentially, um, which I don't think is where you're going with it, but no. but uh, that's that's definitely a a an, a fantasy I- idea that has come to more of a foreground uh, than it was when D and D first came out. Are you more like? you know, rigging together, like, a trebuchet from, like, scrap you found, like, part of a door frame and, like, your belt and a spear. Right. Like, I'm always sort of like, curious to what I have. Like, you know, whenever you're playing a one-shot and they give you whatever you have in your in your pack, I mean, I'm always keeping in mind, do I have a 10-foot pole? Do I have 50-foot of rope? You know, what did I see or what could I ask if i see like oh is there some rocks around here you know kind of thing like so that i can put things together to maybe accomplish whatever i'm trying to do that's interesting do you do that namely when you you when you play a dwarf or do you do that just in general as a player i always play dwarfs <laughs> not always but like 95 percent of the time I use them as, uh, in my campaign world, they're like the merchant class. They're like the, they're the craftsmen in, in so much as like, they are the guys who are making the jewelry and they are the people making, you know, contraptions. Um, it, at one point, my world was a little more modern than I think most D&D campaigns are. Like, they had gas lamps and steam trains and dwarves were the people who oversaw, oversaw all of that. So I, I also go for like, they're definitely, the best sword you can get in a in my campaign world that's not magical is a dwarven sword. And most magical swords are probably dwarven made as well, unless they're, you know, thin light swords. That's would be an elf sword then. You're okay. more the business dwarf. I love business dwarf. The businessman dwarf. <laughs> yeah. And I I go with like a I, I there's not really a king of the dwarves, but they're definitely in a clan structure. Yeah, speaking of that crafting thing, another thing I do with dwarves in my in my fantasy world that isn't Handwavia, where I do most of my gaming, but the fantasy world in my head, uh, where I do most of my fantasy thinking, which sounds just super cool. Um, uh, dwarves do not mint or make or use gold coins. Like it's just not. If you have this material that looks so lovely and they love the look of gold, obviously, uh, you know, if you could use that to gilt an axe or to create a, a, a reinforced door or, or, or uh, some sort of sort of art with it, you know, it's much better than putting some king's face on it, which, you know, is just not their thing. 
So how do they pay for things? Is it gemstones? Because that's super dope, and I'm stealing that. <laughs> uh, so dwarves, so I guess dwarves in, in my world would be communists, <laughs> but dwarves don't have a societal structure where they pay each other anyway. They're a commune. They they help each other. They just what is they it? make everything for the clan. So, so what they do then is they go out and they sell their stuff for new material and they smelt it and make more stuff. <laughs> oh, you'll give me uh, uh, some uh, coins for this? All right, I can make something else out of these stupid king face coins. I guess that's... I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> uh, for me, I my in my fantasy... Because the fantasy world you have inside your head is never the game you get to play. That's never the fantasy world that you actually like. Once the players hit it, it just becomes something different than what you intended and that's fine like i i'm also totally up to like you said like letting the players shout out conjectures about things and being like that's it that's the thing yep you're totally right that idea is better than what i had that's what we're going with um in my world dwarves are i there's like super heavily modified um where they're actually like living machines so uh, <laughs> hey carl do uh do dwarf women have beards in your world? <laughs> uh, you know that's that's um, I, I so in my in my pretend made up fantasy world in my head, yeah, no, but at okay. my table, um, that's something I let the player decide for their dwarf, and it would never become a point of contention. Like I'll never have the barkeep bring it up, but it's just something I would leave up to the player playing at my game. Uh, but in my now, Carl, ask me that same question. Crispy. Yes, Carl. Do dwarf women have beards? No, because in my world, there are no dwarf women. That seems like an extreme solution to a problem that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I I just figured the best way to win the game is to not play. <laughs> So in mine, all dwar- dwarves are forged. They forge new bodies. If they want new dwarves, they just, you know, they go to, like, the rack and they pull off parts and they, like, configure them. Um, and then, you know, they forge a soul. And that soul comes from, you know, a well of of dwarf soul material that there's only a finite amount of. But all dwarves, they're like Ken dolls down there. They look male because... They're prefab parts, but like, then I don't have to worry about that. All dwarves are male because <laughs> that's the only avoiding thing. Avoiding the conversation. Yeah. So I think, so here's my opinion. If I was playing in a game, I don't care what you choose. You can have a beard or not a beard. But if I was playing a female dwarf, then, well, obviously not in your game, I wouldn't be. But. <laughs> <laughs> If I was playing in a game and I chose to be a female dwarf, she would have a beard, but not a, um, I guess, I don't want to say acceptable, but not a full beard like a male dwarf would have. It would, amongst other dwarfs, they would think that she was kind of scraggly and not very well bearded. Oh, see, I thought you were going with, like, they have soul patches. Or, like, (laughs) (laughs) No, more than that. So, like, to the humans... If she was in a human town, they would be like, oh, wow, that's a really good beard. 
but then compared to the male dwarfs, it would not. It would be kind of a scraggly. Yeah. The, so the, amongst dwarfs, she has a scraggly beard, not very full and lengthy. But um, if you were going to compare that female dwarf to even a male human, she would have a significant beard. Yeah. Uh, it's all about perspective. And see, the thing is, is in games that aren't set in my pet world that I've been working on and tinkering with, yeah, like, if you want to be a female dwarf who has a beard, sure. Like, I, yeah, that's fine. Like, whatever. I'm just saying, like, in my own world, I don't know, I think it's more interesting. I kind of went in the deep end to be like, hey, how can I change this to be, like, totally different from anyone else's dwarves? Are you trying to go to the sci-fi world of things? No, not really. They're like, uh, I don't know, it's... I I really like Gonzo Fantasy. I think Gonzo Fantasy is, is interesting, and I think it's like D&D. I, I think it plays that kind of fantasy really well. So if you were to write like a pulp fantasy novel, it'd be like... Uh, it'd be like Regdar, human fighter, and the secret of the dwarves, and that would be the fantasy pulp serial where Regdar, human fighter, the titular character, goes to like the dwarven kingdom in the mountain and discovers that there are no female dwarves because they're like put together, and he has to go like secure more soul material for them. I think uh, I think that'll be our show for uh, for this this episode. Okay, I'm going to suggest something, and you can both uh, tell me to, to go take a walk <laughs> if you hate it. But I think for the end of this show, we should all do a dwarf voice. We should all decide a phrase to say in a dwarf voice. Can I say, gold, 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 gold. Gold, gold, gold. Okay, so. <laughs> that was kind of I a gotta, baseball theme. But. I got to do this now. Um, uh, this is my dad's joke. My dad made up this joke. You've already heard the punchline, but that's okay. Here's the joke. Do you know what a dwarf's favorite song is? No, what? Gold, 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 gold. It's my dad's joke. I don't... It's not funny. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, not, it's not intended to be. That's not how my dad tells jokes. <laughs> I don't get it. It's not funny. There's nothing to get. They love gold. They, they, so yeah. their favorite song would just be about gold, gold over and over and over. Ah, okay. Uh, I mean, you but, could attach it to some sort of like early computer. Uh, there is a uh, text version of the Hobbit game that you could play where um, Thorne would sit down and sing about gold, and that kind of permeated through uh, a computer game and computer programming culture. You know, Thorne sits down and sings about gold, but. That's not what my dad's doing. My dad's just like, eh, doors like gold, right? Huh? Huh, kids? <laughs> but we hear that song about every time we play a D&D game. <laughs> I always forget that you're like, your whole family plays D&D. <laughs> I'm looking for a quote <laughs> to say in a dwarf voice. I've got it. I've got my dwarf quote. So do you want us all to say the same quote in different voices? or to? I think a different quote. Different quote. Everybody. Yeah, okay. That's what I was thinking. Different quote. Uh, mine is, if the women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. <laughs> That's pretty dwarfy. It's from Red Green. It's from the Red Green show. I should say, oh, 
what is a dwarf without an axe? That's what I always say. If I'm given a randomly generated dwarf without an axe, I usually try and make it my quest to find an axe. It's just an axe? Like any old axe or like a mythological axe? Like Oh, any <laughs> axe is better than a sword, but it just, uh, I mean, not a, maybe not a rusted, fallen apart one, but I've never had a problem finding a good axe. I'm a dwarf. I have an eye for things. Alright, so I'll do a dwarf voice. Um, now I'm nervous. This is my idea. Uh, <laughs> it is better to stand and fight. If you run, you'll only die tired. What is that, Genghis Khan? <laughs> <laughs> it is a Viking saying according to Pinterest. Alright. I don't really know that it is. Can we uh, can we append uh, a thing into the segment we just did where uh, if you're looking for great dwarf inspiration, uh, Genghis Khan has the most metal dwarf quotes you can come across? Man's greatest... Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Mess it up. I messed it up real bad. Hold on. Dwarf's greatest joy is to slay his enemy, plunder his riches, ride his steeds... See the tears of his loved ones. Never mind. I'm not reading this one. Oh. Goodness gracious! You know that's the Genghis Khan. You know that's the inspiration for the quote from Conan, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, here's one. <laughs> an action committed in anger is an action doomed to failure. I think the deep gravelly voice is like the way you have to go for a dwarf like they've lived so long in the mines or i mean in the caves and the dungeons underneath that they just have that gravelly voice spending all that time in the cigar lounge the clan cigar lounge (laughs) one axe alone can be easily broken but many axes are indestructible (laughs) the actual quote is arrows but it's a dwarf yeah anyways um have we all given a dwarf quote I mean, I've given a few. Be of one mind and one faith that you may conquer your enemies and lead long and happy lives. This is Genghis Khan for the soul. <laughs> All right. Oh, this is a good... Oh, no. Here it is. The perfect Genghis Khan, Genghis Dwarf quote. There is no value in anything until it is finished. It is not sufficient that I succeed. All others must fail. No, you gotta use the dwarf voice. Oh, sorry. You're not not doing it right, Crispy. (laughs) It's not sufficient that I succeed. All others must fail. (laughs) Awesome. Join me in this madness. (laughs) I don't know what's gonna make it into the show and what's not gonna make it into the show. None of this is getting cut (laughs) out. Oh, no. Well, thank you for listening to Save or Die, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Feel free to send us your dwarven voice. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Oh, my goodness. Please do that. Courtney has the best ideas. Please. If you have a dwarf voice you use at your table, whether it be Scottish or otherwise, uh, whatever you do. Man, I would love to have recordings of that. That'd be so awesome. That would be so awesome. Sweet. I can't wait to hear everybody's uh, dwarf voice. If you want to send those to us, you can send them at questions at saveordie.info. If you could just record that as an mp3 file and send it to us or a WAV file or whatever audio file, I can find a way to open whatever you send us. 
Awesome. What a great idea. Yeah. Or you can call Carl at one. (laughs) (laughs) The hotline. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Thank you for uh, listening to Save or Die. Thank you for listening to Save or Die. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Goodbye. something brother the saber die podcast immortal edition is a production of wild games productions brother it is produced for entertainment purposes only jack all other uses are prohibited dude so be sure to visit them at saberdie.info for more information brother what you gonna do when the saber die podcast runs wild on you Ooh.